hope that one becomes a favorite because I like that. I like singing God is so good. It took me a week and a half to keep singing over and over again to stop crying. Every time I sang the song, I'd just cry because you just, you know his goodness. It's just all over our lives. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to walk with God, isn't it? Let's turn to Romans. We're in chapter 6 now. Boy, we got some hard work to do, but we're going to do it well, as best we can, I should say. And I'm excited to get us back into the groove of Romans. We got a long way to go still. I think we're going to wrap up before summer. Uh, We're still going through it uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're going to do a larger chunk this week. Some weeks we can do chunks. Some weeks we got to stick with two verses. Uh, but we're, we're going along. And by the way, I did leave town last week after church, got away for two nights, and was able to prepare uh, 2023. I've got 52 sermons prepared. Not prepared. I know what I'm going to preach on. I've got to still do a lot of work to preach them. But I know where, where we're going. You want a little sneak peek? We're going we're gonna to do a four-week thing in Habakkuk. Why not? Have you ever done a book study in the book of Habakkuk? We are. So we're going to do just a four-week in Habakkuk. And we are going to spend about nine weeks in Ephesians. So I know a lot of people said that was their favorite book. And so we'll do that. Romans will go in between that whole thing. And then instead of Elephant in the Room, next summer, starting in June, I'm going to do a thing called Problematic Passages. And so for four or six weeks, I'm going to take passages in Scripture where people, when they hear them, they think that something's wrong. This can't be right. And so we'll do that. Jason, come help us. Uh, I already told Jason the inside scoop, and I don't have the lights on this week because you know why? I want to keep this warm, and the heater's still running for them. So Jason's coming up, and he's going to remove from this past week from our wall $1,100. Good job, everybody. Good job. We're taking 1,000, uh, yeah, 1,100 off the wall. Now, if some of you are paying attention, you're like, that wall seems bigger than it was last week. We had to go to the block bank and take a thousand and put uh, ten hundreds back up because we're running out of, of hundreds on there. So we, we had to do that. So I uh, appreciate that. And uh, we are getting closer. I'm so excited that that wall is coming down while he finishes up, just in case you're new. This will get us paid off our, our loans. We've had loans on this building. Uh, if you don't know the history of Oakwood, uh, boy, this church started to build this building and the, and the uh, contractor took off with all the money and didn't finish the building. They gathered together, and they bonded, and they made it happen. They finished this building off, and we're just still paying off those loans. When I came here seven years ago as the pastor, they had about four hundred fifty dollars to $500,000 in debt, and I thought, oh, I don't know. That seems like a lot. We're now really light at the end of the tunnel. If we can raise that amount of money that's on the stage, we will have it paid off by January. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. And there's things that we could do with that money that's budgeted that we're paying for those loan payments. So thank you very much. Keep it in mind, I know uh, my father-in-law came down yesterday to watch football and he asked how the church was doing. And, and he said, it's, it's tough times, financial. I said, I know. And we're doing a fundraiser at the same time. He goes, what? I said, yeah, we're trying to pay off those loans. And he said, well, the giving must have dropped off. I said, no. No, the giving's been solid. So I want to thank you as your pastor. Thank you for uh, you serve God. You don't serve me or the church. And you obviously, your relationship will walk with God has kept things moving here as well. So thank you. You are a blessing. Let's get into Romans 6. 
Um, turn there, and by the way, I'm not going to put it on the screen this morning because I'd like you to use a text, either a phone or your Bible, or if you don't have one, in about every other or so seat in front of you, there should be a hard copy uh, of Scripture there. We're going to have to be referring back to this throughout the whole message, so it'd be better if you had it kind of right in front of you, uh, and then they don't have to be finding each verse that I'm going to be preaching. Let's pray this morning as we get ready to get into the Word. Just quiet your hearts, and if, you, if you're willing, just say this prayer. You don't have to say it out loud, but just let God know. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And God, we pray that you would be glorified. We pray that everyone hearing this would be edified, and we pray that Satan would be horrified. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if my mom and dad are watching from Illinois, but my, they called me this week and they're struggling. Uh, something had come up, and this is happening all over the place right now. Um, I thought it would be a good opportunity for me to let you know what sermon preparation is like. Uh, some churches, uh, the pastor preaches a message, and then the people go and find that message online. And they're like, he didn't write that. Now, if a pastor stands in the pulpit and reads somebody else's message word for word, worse, if he gives their illustration like they're his, that's, that's inappropriate. Sometimes pastors will get up and say, hey, I went to the airport this week, and he never did. He, he's reading from the guy who actually did. That's actually wrong. That's called plagiarism, and that's not right. But you need to know there's nothing new under the sun. It's not like I'm going to look at Romans 6 and I'm going to be the first person who's ever preached a message on it. It's been preached millions and millions of times. My elders know this. Before I preach a passage, I listen to the best preachers preach that passage. I want to go to my office. I want to hear Swindoll. I want to hear uh, uh, Francis Chan. I want to hear a bunch of good communicators preach that passage. I never preach exactly what they preach. But I get their take on that passage. This week, I actually was looking for some kind of a way to organize the message. And I found an outline uh, from Executable Outlines. It's very clear, and I love the way they did it. I had to tweak it because, you know, I like words. And so I tweak it and make it my own. But you need to know my illustrations are my illustrations, okay? Uh, PD ever says, you know, hey, I was going to the store. I'm not reading somebody else's. I'm telling you what, what actually happened to me. So just so you know that. And then I have a group that's meeting at my house on Thursday nights, young adults, and we're watching Andy Stanley. And he talked about this very topic this week. And so with all those sources come together, I'm able to bring you what I believe is on my heart, God's word. And so we're going to walk through this passage today. First, we ought to be reminded of where we've been. What have we learned in Romans so far? Well, yeah, remember, we know, right? Everybody say, we know. Remember, we were in like six to eight weeks of Paul telling us, all have sinned. Say that with me. All have sinned. He just nailed that. I mean, we're like, we get it, Paul. We get it. But he's like a lawyer. He's making his case. He demonstrates all have sinned. And then he declares, thankfully, when we get to chapter five, we can be justified through faith in Jesus Christ. So it's sin, and then he starts talking about salvation. I love how Paul did that. He spent a long time making sure everybody knew you have a sin problem. You were born with a sin problem. Nobody has an excuse. But here's the way you can have salvation. And he introduces faith in Jesus Christ. And then Paul demands where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. 
My sins, they are many, his mercy is more. We sang it today. It came right from this passage. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. There's a problem, though. Let's go back and read it. Keep your finger there in Romans 6, and let's go back to Romans 5, just so we can pick up where he left off. Romans 5.18, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act justified in justification for life for all people. Remember how he was saying, Adam sinned, therefore we're all sinners, but Jesus died on the cross, therefore we can be saved. First man, first man Jesus, remember? Remember that comparison? And then he goes on, verse 19, For just as though the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. That's where we left off. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then Paul realized... He'd made such a good point, and he dealt with what every pastor goes home on Sunday and deals with. What did they hear me say that I didn't say? Have you ever gotten in trouble? Men, have you ever been driving in the car with your wife, and you got in trouble? It happens every day for me. You say something, and I love how my wife says, she'll say, what did you just, and I'll say it again. She goes, that's not how you said it. I get in trouble because she heard me say something that I didn't say, but she interpreted it because of a tone. I, you, know, you know what I mean. And so now Paul has just made this point where, you know, sin abounds, grace abounds more. And then Paul went, uh-oh, what did they just hear? Now Paul comes to Romans 6 and he's going to clean that up. Let's read the whole passage and then I'll come back and I'll tell you what he's trying to clean up. Romans 6, 1 through 23. I'm going to read it all, so let's follow along. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. That's why I screamed it. There's an exclamation point there. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in his death, in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer, your, offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life 
and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we say, shall we sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means! Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness, but thanks be to God that you used to be slaves to sin. You have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity, to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's our famous verse in Romans, Romans 6.23. Hopefully you've learned that. You can say it at any moment. But it comes after a long rambling of Paul's fear that some wrong conclusion might be drawn. Here it is. Here's the line. That's where we've been. Now Paul starts six. He decides to confront a potential problem. Let's continue to sin so that grace may abound. (laughs) Literally, people were hearing about this grace thing. Jesus died for our sins. Grace abounds more than sin abounds. Jesus loved us so much he died for us. He loves to forgive us. Let's make Jesus happy and sin a whole bunch. And then he can forgive a whole bunch and he'll be happy and we'll be happy. You're like, no, they didn't really think that. Yes. And honestly, many believers still live like that today. How many of you have heard, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace? Paul brings that up. We hear that and it's true but it takes some explaining (laughs) as you see what paul took a lot of time how do you explain this so what we're going to talk about the big idea today is the old is gone the new has arrived you'll hear that verse in a little bit what's our relationship to sin as believers we know from romans 1 through 4 all have sinned we're all sinners yeah we get that we're not arguing that that one is gone and done set to bed paul nailed that nobody's arguing anymore we're all sinners but once we become saved people then what is our relationship to sin and you might say well yeah we're still in the flesh we're still weak but we're in under grace not under law well, Paul, Paul does a lot of work here to explain this to us. And I'm going to give you some big, these are 50-cent Christian words. You ready for big words? The first one is called antinomianism. Antinomianism. It means living without law. I don't have to obey the law. Christ came and did away with the law. 
The Old Testament is not important. Let's throw it away. We got the new happy Testament with the happier God in it and Jesus, right? The God of the Old Testament is grumpy. Jesus is the happy new God of the New Testament. And that's just not true. Antinomianism would say, I don't have to do anything because I'm forgiven. I'm already forgiven, so what does it matter? I'm under grace. I can do whatever I want. And if I choose to live in sin, then I live in sin, but I'm forgiven. All I have to do is say, oops, I'm sorry. Oops. Oops, I made a mistake. Paul's like, we've got a problem. We need a cleanup in aisle one. I just explained that God's mercy is a great thing, but I need to go back and explain that our relationship as Christians to sin, we ought to take some time and think about it. We're talking about sanctification here, and I don't want you to get this wrong. Here's where the, Paul's going to struggle his whole ministry and writing with the confusion over salvation and sanctification. Let me, let me tell you as clear as I can this morning. Salvation is that act, that moment in time where God declares you righteous and pure. If you go to God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin. Come into my life as Savior and Lord. He slams the gavel down like a judge in a courtroom and says, I declare you righteous and pure. Salvation, you are saved. But then what about sin after that point? Well, Paul teaches we begin a never-ending journey of growing in Christ, becoming more like Jesus. That's called sanctification. Now, sanctification, the act of trying to do right, trying to obey God, does not get you saved. You could spend your whole life working toward that and not get to heaven because you never were saved. The reverse is, you can get saved and live like hell. (laughs) And that's why Paul is saying, no, don't do that. Both are wrong. Both are errors. Antinomianism is, I'm saved. What does it matter? I got the fire insurance card in my pocket. I'm not going to hell. I'm okay. Well, Paul is going to break this down and make sense of it. So what is our relationship with sin once we're saved? We're all just sinners. Have you heard that before? Anybody raise your hand if you've heard that. We're all just sinners. Yeah, that's true. We're all in the flesh. Anybody ever hear that one? Yeah. Everyone makes mistakes, right? Right? Now, this one was even a song. Oops, I did it again. Uh, I mean, we, we constantly hear these thoughts about sin, and, and as a believer, we, 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 we love this one. We're not under law, but we're under grace. However, Paul says, you once were, but now you're different. And I don't want you to miss that, believer. If if you've accepted God's salvation, you've been bought with the price, therefore, glorify God with your bod. Everything about you. We're walking in a new way. Antinomianism is actually dualism. It says, I'm one thing, but I can do another. You, You see that all the time, right? I say I'm a believer, yet, you know, I I act like the world. Because that's okay, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. I say I'm a believer, but I act like an unbeliever. That's okay, I'm I'm in the flesh, just forgive me. Oops. And that's not what Paul's teaching. Matter of fact, this is where we get to hear Paul. I love it. He's good at these, uh, he's he's a writer and a judge and a a lawyer. And so he's got some emphatic statements. Did you see him? Twice I said him. By no means. When he talks about this, he says, should we, co- should we continue sinning? No. That's what by no means means, right? By no means. 
So there, there's two things that Paul talks about here. Next, mortification. You know what a mortician is, right? At the, he takes care of dead, dead things, right? And so mortification is putting off the old self. If you died with Christ, baptism is this beautiful imagery. We're going to hear two images today, one of baptism and one of slavery. And Paul says, if you've been baptized with Christ, what you're saying in this tank is that Jesus died and was buried and he rose again to new life. But as a believer, I'm in this tank saying, here's my testimony. I've died, my old man has died with Christ and I'm risen to new life. That's what's going to happen in the second service. Those people are going to say, that's what happened to me. They don't get saved in this tank. This is not holy water. They're giving a testimony. And they're saying, I'm with Jesus. Death, burial, resurrection. My old life, dead. My new life has arrived. So what's new about you? That's what Paul's trying to get at here. Another word is vivification. Sorry, that was harder. Vivification. Say it with me. One, two, three. Thank you, because I can't do it. Vivification. Putting on the new me. These are the three big ideas Paul is trying to get across. Antinomianism, which is a dualism. I'm a Christian, but I act like the world. No, no different. There's no, no separation from worldliness. Mortification is putting off the old self, dying to self and flesh. Vivification is putting on the new me. The act of sanctification, it doesn't happen instantaneously. From the moment you're saved, you're in a struggle because you are in the flesh. Thank goodness we are under grace and under the law. However, sanctification is the process of becoming more like Christ. Are you more like Jesus today than you were five years ago? Are you more like Jesus now than you were last week? You need to be thinking about that as a Christian and see how Paul is talking about this. So here's the big question. Shall we continue in sin as a believer? No. (laughs) We died to sin. That's his first point. Paul says we were crucified with Jesus in baptism in verses 3 and 4. That's his illustration. What a great day, huh? I didn't plan that. It looks like I planned it, but I didn't plan it. But I'm so glad we have baptism today. This is the illustration. Now we walk in a new life. When we're saved and we, we, we accept his salvation, we immediately are brought into a new life in Christ. And so we are no longer serving the flesh. We're serving God. So we must learn. It's a process. Sanctification is a process. We learn how to say no to sinfulness and yes to godliness. It's a new life. And then he says in verse 6 and 7, we're no longer slaves of sin. We'll bring that out some more, those two illustrations. Because now we're alive in Christ. I love how Paul makes the image so clear with baptism. And it all hinges upon Jesus, doesn't it? He literally died for our sins. He literally was buried. And this is the key. He literally rose again. That is the gospel, by the way. If anybody asks you, what's the gospel? The gospel is Jesus was dead, buried, and rose again. That's the gospel. And he did it for your sins and my sins. The important aspect is that risen to new life. Because that resurrection power, he defeated sin and death once for all. Amen? When Jesus died and rose again, he defeated sin and death once and for all. But that resurrection power is yours, believer, to live a new life in Christ. So why live in the old, not experiencing this new life? 
So Paul then continues. We'll look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. You should know this verse. You've probably been wanting to quote it every time I've been talking because it sounds like it, doesn't it? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And don't forget, I love, you know, every once in a while I love throwing out the big 50 cent Christian words like antinomianism, right? And anthropomorphic ideologies. Those are really cool. But you know what some of the biggest words in the Bible are? Words like this. If, (laughs) you're like, that's the biggest word? That's the biggest word in the Bible. Why? Because that word there means some aren't. If is a two-letter word, and it's huge. If anyone is, and then we come up with the second biggest word in the Bible, in. You're like, that's not big. Yes, it is. Two letters, huge implication. Notice what it says. If anyone is in Christ, it doesn't say in church, it doesn't say in ministry, it doesn't say in a good family, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. If you're in, if in, if in, are you in today? Not in church, are you in Christ? I could run out to the parking lot right now and I could get in one of our spaces now that we can see and we got new lines and stuff. I could walk out into one of the spaces out in the parking lot and I could go, I'm a Ferrari, I'm a Ferrari. Look at me, I'm in a parking space, I'm a Ferrari. You're like, you're nuts. To me, it sounds like a bunch of Christians running around saying, I'm in Christ and they don't resemble one at all. If in If you're in Christ, your new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. So the second thing is, shall we continue to sin? He gives his next point, actually his next reason why the answer is no. Shall we continue to sin? No. We're alive to God. We're no longer dead. And and this is huge. This is huge. (laughs) Okay. But you think you can't sound with me. Don't lose me. He's given so many amazing deep thoughts in this passage. This has to do with Born again. Anybody ever heard the phrase born again? I grew up in a Baptist tradition. Us Baptists, we like it. We got to be born again. Are you born again? And born again is huge because unless you're born again, remember when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus? He's like, don't you, why don't you understand this? Unless a person is born again, he cannot enter into heaven. Nicodemus is like, what? Am I supposed to crawl back in my mother's? I mean, Nicodemus, you're getting gross. No. We're talking spiritual. Why? Check this out. Because you're born dead. Stick with me. Each and every one of you were born dead spiritually. Spiritually. You were born to life and you had physical life, but you were born dead spiritually. That's why you must be brought to life, born again spiritually. You're not alive spiritually. That's the world's problem. See, the world's problem is a, is a philosophical, a psychology. Everybody's basically good at heart. What's the problem with that? No, they're not. Everybody's a scum bucket. <laughs> We're born with a sin problem. I mean, I don't know why they don't know this. They need to go work in the church nursery, right? Because in the church nursery, you learn truth. All people are born with a sin problem. Nobody teaches them sin. You know it. We're selfish self-absorbed, we want to please our flesh from day one. So we're born dead. Now Paul's saying, but you, 
There's a bunch of contrast here, by the way. You, you've been born again. You're no longer dead. You've been made alive. I love this. And so sin does not have to reign in us. See, before, when you were dead in the flesh, sin reigned. It was king. It sat on the throne of your life and it ruled you. Does anybody ever, don't have to raise your hand and don't, no elbows, no hands, no elbows. Anybody ever have a sin problem you just struggled with? Maybe, maybe an addiction situation or maybe a repetitive thing that just, that's what Paul's talking, he's like, man, sin ruled you, but that's not you anymore. You died and now you're, and you're alive, alive in Christ. It doesn't reign in you. Our bodies are now instruments of righteousness. Our, our, our bodies were instruments tuned uh, to, to sin and we were strumming along pleasing ourselves until God says, no, no, that instrument's gone now. You've been made an instrument to righteousness. That's what your body's used for now. And God, grace saves us from dominion. I love that word. I'm glad he has it in here. Dominion. You are no longer dominated by sin. Dominion. Here's what happens. It's not that we're saved and we try harder not to sin. It's that we were dead, ruled by sin, and now death is defeated. It no longer has its grip on you. You've been made alive in Christ. It no longer has dominion over you. So now even your wants become more aligned with God. That's huge. The very thing you want should be changed. I think of it like an umpire. I went, I saw uh, the game. I was at the game Friday. I saw Doug and Lisa walk by. If you ever want to see people from Oakwood, go to Lapeer football game. Everybody seems to be there. So we went and watched Owen play football. And then I saw some cheerleaders and dancers and all these other peoples. And then I looked out and there's Wally Rose. Wally Rose was the pastor of Hadley Community Church here in town. He's a football ref. He just had a heart attack, and he's out there refing this football game. The whole time I'm watching him. Nobody's cheering for the ref, and I'm like... Stay alive. You know, don't have a heart attack. And I'm watching him, hoping, to, and he's the ref. And he's making all the, I wrote him. After the game, I wrote him. I said, Wally, I watched you ref. I never yelled at you once. And that's an amazing thing. When you can go through a whole game and not hate a ref one time, I'm like, you did, you did good. What does the umpire do? The umpire has control. And he calls balls and strikes. He calls touchdowns or, or not, out of bounds. Or, he, he makes the call. So who's making the call in your life is the question. Who's got that dominion thing happening in your life? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do, not, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Very clear in Scripture, you've got a new ref now. You got somebody else sitting on the throne who should be calling the shots. What's foul, what's fair? What's right, what's wrong? And it's no longer your flesh. It's Jesus. So our desires become aligned. So, so now, you're looking at me saying, but PD, we are still sinners. Yes. We're still in the flesh. Yes, we have a flesh battle. But our wants and desires should be different. Honestly, before Christ, we wanted to please ourselves. That's only 
natural. That's what you're born to do as dead spiritual people. You are born to please self. Now something's changed in you. You're new. And your wants and desire. And do we still fall? Yes, we might fall. But don't you know it? And is it bothering you? See, as a believer, I want to let you know, Paul is saying you can't live that way anymore. Because the Holy Spirit's whole job is to dwell in you and say, foul ball. (laughs) What you just said to your wife was wrong. (laughs) Yeah, but she deserved it. (laughs) It was wrong. Call sin, sin. Well, it's just... I just made a mistake. That's what we learned on Thursday night. You got to watch the video. It's good. You guys would love the video. Mistake or sin? Is what we do a mistake or is what we do sin? Our, Our world would like to say it was a mistake. How many of you have seen a politician after they've really done bad? And they get up, and it's always two or three days. Why? Because 30 people get in a room and try to craft the 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 announcement, right? And he has to stand up or she has to stand up. And what do they say? I'm so, so sorry. I made a mistake. And after they say this whole speech, the news people start talking, saying that didn't quite cut it. It wasn't quite, no, didn't do it good, no. So three days later, they come back out with a better speech. Anybody ever see that before? Why? Because everybody knows when you say you made a mistake, it's not quite right. That wasn't a mistake. You purposefully did that. Remember my story about Josh and Taekwondo? Remember I took him to Taekwondo and he got a uniform, the whole thing. Then he came home and he kicked my, my daughter in the head. And she's like, he kicked me in the head. And Josh came up and says, I'm sorry. And then he ran away. And my daughter's like, you're not going to let him get away with that, are you? It wasn't a mistake. He did it on purpose. And I knew right away if he got a chance, he'd do it again. It wasn't a mistake. I want you as a believer to know we need to stop calling sin a mistake. You don't buy a plane ticket and fly somewhere to make a mistake. You don't have a stash of mistakes hidden in your house right now. You don't plan to be in the dark on a computer when nobody else can see you to make a mistake. There's no such thing as a premeditated mistake. Somebody tell me I'm right. Thank you. It's sin. And the thing that's so egregious is that we as believers aren't to live that way anymore. I know, Pastor, you're being hard on us today. It's his fault. Paul did it. I'm just telling you, for too long, I I think believers had said, it doesn't matter I'm saved, it's all done, everything's finished. It's like the moment I received salvation was the end of my spiritual journey. It's just day one. Cass and Colton Rodella are having a baby. That's why Jimmy stepped up today. Thank you, Jimmy, to play drums because they induced Cass today. She's having a baby today or sometime between now and Wednesday. Baby Millie's coming, amen. I'm excited about that. But Cass and Colton, these are, these are young people, but they're, they're, they're going to be great moms and dads. I guarantee you, the moment Millie's born, Cass and Colton aren't going to say, wow, that was great. See ya. <laughs> we did it. It's done. Life. Woohoo. We're going we're gonna to go up north for, and see the colors. You, you do good. No, no. It's just day one. Anybody have kids? Do you remember day one? Child number one? Scared to death. 
I remember they went through all this stuff with Caitlin, and then they're like, okay, you can take her home. I'm like, really? I can leave with this new life? This is a precious person now. The training wasn't adequate. Shouldn't we have more classes? I remember thinking, there's no way we should be taking this thing home. I'm a, I'm a really bad driver. I drive very fast everywhere I go. Not that day. We put baby Caitlin in the back, of the, and I drove 10 miles an hour with my hand out the window. Slow down! There's a baby in here! Slow down! Caution, everybody. I need a bubble. I need a 10-car bubble. Don't get near me. Why? Because that new life is precious and it must be developed. Christian, if you receive Christ as your Savior and that was it, it's like leaving a baby on the table and saying, grow up. It's a life. It's a new life entered into sanctification. Shall we continue to sin? No! We are to be slaves of righteousness. We are slaves to whatever we obey, Paul says in verse 15 through 18. It's a very good point. It's not that you stop being slaves. You're set free from the reign and dominion, but you're going to serve somebody. Do you understand that? We're going to serve somebody with our lives. If you're serving self and flesh, that's the master. That's the ref. That's the reign. Or if you've given that over to God, he reigns. He's control and he is boss. It's a new life with a new boss. Born again is born new. The old is gone. The new is here. Have you seen that commercial on TV? It's a paint commercial. I don't know which brand. But uh, the lady has her paint from the 90s still. And her 90s self is there. You, You ever see? Am I the only one who watches TV? I, I, I repent, just a mistake. Um, I watch TV. And I watch this commercial, and there she is. She's there now. She has a husband and a child, and she's older and more mature. But her, her older self is there with the headsets on, you know, with her Walkman rocking out, and, and she's annoying. And the point is, are, is your old self still on your walls? You need to repaint so it's new. So you get rid of your old you. You're not that thing anymore. And I thought, that's a, that's a religious illustration right there the old needs to be gone that's not who you are it's new here we're slaves to whatever we obey we are we are to serve righteousness like we once served sin when you weren't saved you served self now that you are saved we serve with that vigor remember that that vim and vigor to, to do bad? Well, that, that needs to be changed now. That same energy is, is given to growing in Christ to be more like Jesus. And that's what we give ourselves to. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you were living in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. This, this verse always bothered me. It, it still does because it's, it raises the bar so high. And I'm like, God, God, I think you mis, misspoke. Yes, you are holy. But don't tell me to be holy. I'm never going to get there. God, you just set a bar so high that I'm never going to be. I am not like you. I am in the flesh. I am I'm, I'm a mistaker. By the way, I'm not a mistaker. I'm a sinner. 
If anything you take away today, you need to determine, are you a mistaker or are you a sinner? Holy, that, that's way up here. And then I understand that because of Christ's death, burial and resurrection, that resurrection power is in me. And God sets the bar high. He says, be like me. That's your pursuit. You see, our problem is, is we shoot down here. If you're in that antinomianism stage, you're still like, well, we're under, we're under grace, not under law. Really? So you're shooting here. Like, it's okay. It's okay. We can shoot here because we got Jesus. It all works out. We end up in heaven someday. And Jesus, by the way, did he come and destroy the law? Let's, let's think about the law, the 10 words. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus talked about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Did he, get, did he do away with the rule? Did he say, hey, by the way, don't worry about adultery anymore. I'm here. I'm going to die. Take care of those sins. Do whatever you want. Is that what Jesus said? Or did Jesus preach, you once heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, here's Jesus' opportunity to lower the bar or to raise the bar. Did he higher expectations of the law or did he lower expectations? Are you with me? Do you see the contrast? It's either we determine that the law has been lowered or the law has been hired. Jesus said, you once heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, don't even have lust in your heart. What? I was doing really good. I never slept with my neighbor's wife. I never did. Did you lust? Jesus said, you once heard it said, do not murder. But then he says, but go ahead, it's okay. You're not under law, you're under grace. Wipe them out. Is that what he said? Did he lower or did he hire? Jesus said, You once heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, don't even have hate. What? Oh, man, I did everything I could not to kill that guy. Now I can't hate him? Oh, man. Are you with me? Because this is an important teaching. So many Christians are off on this. They think that the bar's been lowered because of grace, and they think that the standard has been taken off of our backs, when in actuality, God is saying the standard's much higher now because it's, it's not just the external. It's not just the act of adultery and the act of murder. Now it's something you can't even see. It's in the heart. And in that way, it's been amplified. The heart of the matter is the heart. And Jesus says... Die to that old self so you can put the hate to death. Die to yourself so you can learn to put lust to death. Be holy. Don't dumb it down. Don't just say, oops, I'm a mistaker. No, that's not what God told us. Four, why? Should, shall we continue to sin? No, Because the wages of sin is death. And he gives two parts of this analogy. The fruit of slavery to sin is death. So what you get from living a life of continual sin is death. That's the whole point. Wages. It's what you earn. You do this, you get this. The fruit of slavery to sin leads to death. Did you hear when he started talking about benefit? I love what he did here. A little, little, maybe you didn't catch it the first time. Read it again this afternoon. He says, what did you benefit from? 
You live for self. You enter into that toilet bowl of addiction in life and you serve and honor flesh. What comes from that death? It's a spiral downward. Live to sin. See where that takes you. But then he said, what benefit is it to live for righteousness? It's life. It's life. Why? The grace of God offers eternal life. There's a double contrast here. I'm sorry to get geeky. Can I get just, just give me one second? There's a double contrast. Oh, this is fun. He goes, we're, we're talking Paul theology steroids right now. Double contrast. Sin has wages. Salvation is a gift. Do you hear that? You work for sin and you die from it. You don't work for salvation. It's a gift. It's given to you. It's grace. So there's one contrast. Sin wages death. Salvation, grace, gift. Amen? That's good. But then he says, sin leads to death. Grace leads to life. It's a double contrast in one. It's like, whoa, Paul, you nailed it. Two analogies in one. Two contrasting comparisons in one same thought. Sin has wages. Salvation is a gift. Sin brings death. Grace brings life. So shall we continue? No. Titus 3, 4 through 7 says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. This is where I remind you. This is where I'm going to do what Paul did. Oops, don't go home with the wrong thought. You don't work yourself to salvation. If you're hearing this morning, when I leave here, I need to try harder this week. You've missed the point. Salvation is not about trying harder because it's been done. Salvation is spelt D-O-N-E. It's in Jesus Christ, what's been done. Works is spelt D-O. You can't work yourself to salvation. But if you are saved, remember, if anyone is in, say it with me, if anyone is in, they're a new creation. So if you claim to be saved today, what's your relationship to sin? Shall we continue to sin? No! Paul says, by no means. Salvation is a free gift. But then the life of sanctification begins mortification, put to death your old self, vivification, put on the new life, walk in Christ. So here's the final answer. If you're confused today, shall we continue to sin? Let me give you every version of this I found. By no means in the NIV, certainly not in the New King James. It is not to be thought of, said Knox. Not at all, says Williams. Of course not, says the Phillips translation. May it never be in the NSB. Never, says Moffat. Heaven forbid, says the TCNT. God forbid, says the King James in the ASV. And PD says, nope, because I'm not as fancy as all those people. Everybody say, nope. Nope. What's the answer? Shall we continue in sin? Nope. Shall we continue in sin? By no means. Shall we continue to sin? Give me one. Of course not. So if you're confused, you can apply any one of these answers to the question today, and I think Paul nailed it. So what's the conclusion? We end with this. Band and team, would you come up and help me sing this last song? The conclusion is this. Those who are truly converted, if 
That's the word if. Those who are truly converted are no longer enslaved to sin and no longer live in sin. Instead, they increasingly grow in loving God and loving others. The fruit of conversion is freedom from the habitual practice of sin. But PD, I still protest. I struggle with sin. Yes. Yes. I want you to know, Paul knows this. He very strongly taught correct theology today that as believers, we do not have, sin does not have dominion in our life. It should not reign in our life. But does Paul know we're still sinners? Does he really think he's perfect? No, he's still the same author who says, why do I do the things I know are wrong? And why don't I do the things that I know are right? That's Paul. Paul still lived in this, this, this contradiction. <laughs> but he wants us to know we need to stop making excuses. We need to stop living our life saying, well, I'm just a, I'm a mistaker. Oops. Now let the Holy Spirit reign in your life. And when you know sin has a hold on you, get rid of that. Don't let it reign in your heart. Don't let it reign in your life. Last week I got to play guitar for the band and we sang a song, I'm no longer a slave to fear. And as I was writing this message for us today, I couldn't help but, you know, that that passage we said says we're no longer slaves to sin. And so I'd like to close our service by singing that song. Instead of fear, we're going to sing the word sin today. I'm no longer a slave to sin. Let me pray, and then you'll stand with me, and then we'll sing this song. Father God, help us as we walk. Help us to walk a new walk. And God, I'm, I'm the first to admit that sin does rear its ugly head and have an uh, attack. But God, I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit who says that's not who you are. God, keep reminding me that's not who I am. And I don't have to obey when Don Jackson wants something. I, I can obey God. I can obey you. And thank you for giving me every tool toward knowing you and having you as my Savior. God, I pray you would just bless all these believers here today as we learn to walk in righteousness instead of sin.